it was then when when God took me out to the desert, which was what I call hell time in my life, to hear his voice. I lost everything, but I gained his voice. I gained who he was in my life. Um, and then I was able to deal with a deeper trauma. Welcome to the Faithful and True Podcast. We are excited today because we have two of our favorite people with us. Bill and Lori Loki are joining us for the podcast. And after 23 years of working in the therapy field, Bill and Lori Loki have become really great at working with trauma, helping couples heal their relationship, training leaders who impact their culture, and speaking to groups about growing their faith. Uh, they now get to work together, offering encouragement and support through intensives, workshops, trainings, and speaking engagements. And we're lucky to have them with us today. Also, our host, Greg Miller. Greg, let's welcome Bill and Lori Loki. Yes. Thank you very much for coming and being a part of this experience. We greatly appreciate your willingness to set aside the time for a conversation. Thank you all for having us. Yeah, we really you. appreciate this. This is great. We mm -hmm. um, know of your all's work quite a bit and um, just love what uh, what you all do and the support you all give so many couples and families. Yes. So uh, we're grateful to be a part of this today. Well, yes, good. We are. And as um, Randy introduced you, you know, one of the words that is a part of the work that you do is trauma. And I know for a lot of our listeners, um, that is a word that maybe for the first time they've been introduced to, or maybe they've been suspicious that trauma is a part of their own story. So let's just kind of begin with a definition. What what does trauma mean? And um, if somebody hears that term, what, what typically does it um, indicate? Um, you know, I think trauma... Boy, it's um, it's been used so broadly mm -hmm. that I think a lot of times um, it's gotten to where it's just kind of this buzzword. Um, and um, used to it was, you know, what we saw that uh, vets that came back from the war and um, had PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And and we kind of reserved that word a lot for um, people that had gone through either war or automo severe automobile accidents or other severe kinds of things. But we began to see more and more over the last few decades, I think, more and more people that um, or became we became aware of it, mm -hmm. I think, as in the therapy community, as people that were struggling and didn't understand why, but they were having um, PTSD type symptoms. Or DID. Yeah, yeah, or dissociative identity disorder. Mm -hmm. And they were not understanding why they would maybe have this startle reflex or they were scared around certain environments. I mean, like really big or they would have this um, this knee jerk reaction to things that that was more of a survival type reaction. As we say, the fight, flight or freeze. Mm -hmm. and, and there's some other in there. Um and so what we begin to work with as a working tool for in the therapy is that a lot of times a person will come and say, um, yeah, I had this really big thing happen. As I, as I call it, the bear chasing you in the woods. Mm -hmm. You know, we, when those kinds of things happen, 
we know we've been traumatized. Mm -hmm. What's more difficult sometimes to work with for people that say, I never had one of those big things happen to me. I don't understand why I feel like I'm crazy sometimes. Um, and what we've found and what research has found, not just us, that there's more of what um, we call this chronic, um, almost little T trauma instead of capital T, um, this chronic trauma of things that have happened over and over again for most of their life, maybe starting early on where there was a parent that wasn't there for them um, regularly or someone they could depend on, or maybe they were bullied a lot in school or, or whatever it may have been that slowly over time that continued to grow inside of them a trauma that they found themselves reacting to. But then when you talk about that with them, they'll be like, ah, oh, that was just normal. Right. That okay. wasn't trauma. And yet still they're having the same kinds of PTSD type symptoms. Yeah. And I would take that a little mm -hmm. bit further because uh, for, for Bill, his trauma, uh, presented itself with PTSD and mine was DID, more dissociative disorder. I just go somewhere else um, <laughs> instead of staying present. And, and I always look at it as too much of something or not enough. Mm. Um, too much uh, uh, enmeshment from parents are from bullies are not enough neglect and abandonment. And so, and all of that can be on the spectrum but we all we all um, develop these survival strategies off of too much of something or not enough places of being able to to, to stay safe, um, and sometimes a lot of times that comes in the form of addiction. Mm -hmm. Let me just numb out my pain mm -hmm. and not have to feel these losses are are the pain um, that I endured in my childhood. Yeah. So kind of what I hear is some trauma shows up in a profound experience and some trauma shows up simply through an ongoing environment. And typically that ongoing yeah. environment yeah. may even be more difficult to identify because it was what was normal. It was what was expected. It was ongoing. And so I don't have this strong right. memory of something. And so there's almost a, a subtleness to the trauma that I'm experiencing. And they've normalized it. Mm -hmm. You normalize it because they survived. Mm -hmm. They don't have the bruises on their face or the uh, the experience of a war or a tornado. So they've normalized um, that maladaptive behavior. Right. And also with that comes oftentimes less ability to trust mm -hmm. because they just because they've lived a long time with that. They feel like, well, that's just the way the world is or that's the way people are. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm not going to trust. And um, and that makes it even more difficult sometimes to be able to really step into the healing work, because if they have depended upon an addiction or a medicator of some sort, it's kind of like, nope, I'm just going to do that because mm -hmm. I know how to do that. Um, I know how to hide it or try to keep that. I was I was introduced to this term yeah. that I hadn't heard before. It was an unconscious negativity bias. And um, when I first heard that, and I heard it because someone was reflecting that I have it, um, but it was this ongoing suspicion, <laughs> you know, that um, there's this, you enter into relationships, you enter into experiences, and it's unconscious, but there is this assumption or this suspicion that it's not going to go well. And so it kind of can manifest itself right. as not trusting. 
I'm not believing that people are going to be for you. And it makes perfect sense if you were in an environment that wasn't safe, you would develop this suspicion that things aren't going to be safe or things aren't going to work out for you. And then if you do struggle with coping or addiction behavior, the addiction becomes the safe space because it's reliable, it's dependable. And the perception, though it's a lie, is that it's controllable. And that's what I would call a strategy. Mm -hmm. That was a strategy that sharing that you learned on how to survive um, in a way to keep your world safe. And it's not a conscious strategy. No, that's what's so helpful was that term unconscious. You know, that that this is an operating system that I wasn't even necessarily aware of. Um, we, we yeah, when of, we work with couples, it's a, oh no, go ahead. Yeah, it, it's just amazing. Yeah, when we work with couples, it's amazing how they've normalized their patterns, and they're not even aware um, that they're using survival strategies to protect. You know what I say? They're younger me's, um, and and then they're at war with each other mm-hmm. instead of coming alongside each other. They're at war with each other. Um. We, we've talked about this idea, kind of different indicators that someone may be struggling with unresolved trauma. As you've worked with individual and couples, what are some of the indicators, the symptoms that someone could be aware of in their own lives that maybe there is some unresolved trauma that they need to address? You know, I worked with a couple yesterday and um, it was They've done so much. Uh, this was in my private practice and they've done so much therapy. I had been working with the wife, I invited the husband in. Um, he comes in as like, just give me the tools. And I'm like, <laughs> I'll give you the tools. <laughs> the tools. <laughs> but, uh, and as they were talking, he's like, well, what are we? He said, I've been doing this. What, what are we doing wrong? I'm like, you're missing each other's heart. You're you're in this place where you're trying to use the tools, but there's no foundation of safety and trust because your tools still have a strategy of protecting that younger me that that's been abandoned in your childhood. And she's trying to protect her younger me that was abused and bullied. And the two of those together, um, you have to understand and come alongside one another uh, in those places of woundedness before you can use the tools mm. um, to, to be able to come outside and say, hey, I'm with you in this place. Instead of making the other person the enemy because of the enemy. Does that right? Mm-hmm. Enemy. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> By using that strategy, um, then it's it's being able to understand each other's ways of protecting their hearts uh, and and we, Bill and I've had to do that a lot in our marriage. I, I, I'm like, man, you you go through one marriage, but try number two, because now you've got all your childhood stuff that you thought was normal and all the stuff that happened in your first marriage to be able to go, hey, are you with me or, mm-hmm. or not? And being able to um, you know, do that work with each other. And we, we had to come into our marriage uh in a place of being able to go, are you going to reject me too? I mean, that, that was yeah. my question. And I think one of the things that, to give you an example of what you're talking about, um, for me, so many years of my life, not without even knowing it, mine um, was instead of it being just an unconscious negative type of outlook, 
Mine was this base of fear and shame of um, I cannot let someone really see my heart mm. because if they do, they're going to reject me. They're not going to they're not going to be OK with who I really am. And so I would work really hard at being Superman, who was my hero, uh, trying to do everything and do it really, really well. But those deep longings inside my heart or when I got hurt, my feelings hurt or I I was scared uh, about a relationship or scared that someone was going to be not accepting. I would learn how to either put up the walls or um, or go underground. Mm -hmm. And one of the things for me, because later on, certainly that was a part of my recovery problem, because I was like um, not telling the truth. I was going underground. Mm -hmm. And so for me, part of my recovery work that was really important was looking not only at just saying you're not telling the truth because that's just a behavior thing. It was like, what is going on inside? What's the fear? What's the shame that you're trying to avoid? When I was able to begin to to uh, express that with um, with a therapist who really said, you know, I'm accepting you regardless. I was able to begin to step into that and then find Look at what I'm doing just to try to avoid the feeling of shame or the feeling of fear being hurt. And as I was able to become honest with myself, then I was able to start being honest with other people. Um, and so I would say that's another clue for people. Mm -hmm. if, if they're really struggling with being able to be honest with themselves or with others, then there may be something that is so strong inside. It could be related to trauma mm -hmm. that's keeping them from being honest. Well, and something else that I heard you say is that if someone is aware that shame and fear are significant motivators or that shame and fear are fairly present, that itself could be an indication that there was something that caused that fear and shame. And it could be an indicator that there's some trauma in their story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not always a sign of trauma, but it oftentimes is. Mm -hmm. Um Sometimes a person will go, I know I have this reaction that happens under certain circumstances, or um, but I can't remember anything that happened. And we'll say, you don't have to remember. Right. right. You don't have to dredge up some deep memory that's there. All we know is we can just start working on what the reaction is and what the feeling is. And then how do I finally step into and this is a place that the words sound right, but it's a lot harder than it sounds. Mm -hmm. Really stepping into trusting God mm -hmm. and trusting that God is actually good mm -hmm. rather than just going, I got to just survive. And one of the things that we have kind of slowly grown into is, I would say, one of our kind of specialties is helping people get out of that place of self-survival and trusting God, trusting the Holy Spirit to teach us how to love our spouse, love family members well um, from a place of trust. Because boy, when we get into that fight, fight or freeze reaction place, it, in that moment, it feels like there are no other choice than just to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, and often we use this. Oh, no, go ahead. With, you know, with our relationship with God. We, we yeah. use the same survival strategies with our relationship with God. And it really is about what are we afraid of? And do we really believe in the goodness of God? Mm -hmm. And if we don't, what's in the way? And how, how can we go into that place of 
of understanding the God um, who is a loving father, a just God, a holy God, but a God who is for us and not against us. Well, you know, kind of back to that unconscious negativity bias. Mm -hmm. One of the things that's been helpful is not only do Mm -hmm. I bring that into my relationships, my marriage, but I also bring that into my relationship with God. I enter into that relationship with God with suspicion. And I've had to work to recognize Mm -hmm. that God is for me. That's not just words, but that can be a truth that I can live Mm -hmm. into. And you have mentioned two words that I kind of want to go back to. One of them is a startle response. So what does startle response Mm -hmm. look like and how does it show up? And then the other one is to disassociate, to disconnect. So if someone mm-hmm. is considering you know, trauma in their life, what does a startle response look like? And what does disassociation look like? So that- Look at it, who's gonna start? <laughs> so that the, that the startle is um, that place in your body of hypervigilance. It's that, oh, like, oh, and I hate to say this on the air, but it's like, oh, shit, you know, kind of, that kind of thing. Oh, uh, we, we have to go now. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and your, and your, your body just totally goes into that place of every, all the electricity goes all the way through your body. And it's almost like you stop in time. Mm. It, it, I've seen a bear in the woods and I'm stopped in time. For me, dissociation, um, it was just like I could be in the room, um, but not be in the room. I I was there present, but I was somewhere else in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he could be talking and I could be somewhere else. Uh, I could I could just get by in life. I couldn't totally be present in my body. I had to learn how to be present um, in, in my body and, and be in it, not kind of floating above uh, watching. And I just had learned that method to, to survive, mm-hmm. like go somewhere else. Now there's different degrees. I'm not talking about what we used to call multiple personality disorder. And that's actually a form of DID. Mm-hmm. I'm talking more, um, which, which trauma can take a person to that level of, of splitting off into different personalities. Um, but I'm, I'm talking about uh, in the DID NOS, just basically just being able to not, to not be present in relationship. I'm, I'm just kind of numbing out. I'm somewhere else. Um, and in my addiction, my primary one was a eating disorder. So that's, that's DID, you know, it's a secondary dissociative disorder. Um, and that's the, where I could just go somewhere else and not be present or feel my pain. And, and I would add, um, Um, a good example, when a person is kind of dissociative, where they may zone out, Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes, especially around addiction, when there's an addiction going on, imagine for a moment, if you were standing talking to someone in a very, very quiet environment, Mm -hmm. and you could talk fairly quietly, and, and you could understand each other, you know, very easily. Mm -hmm. And then imagine taking that same conversation to the uh, to the beach right at the edge of the ocean where uh, and there were big waves coming in and now all this noise of the surf you've just got to talk up louder to be able to hear each other and oftentimes what happens with trauma especially around addiction is that the the baseline that maybe for a nor quote normal person 
is lower that that it doesn't take a lot of stimulation for you to be aware of, oh, I hear that, or, oh, wait a minute, I see that look on someone's face. Whereas a person who's kind of dissociating a little bit, there just needs to be a higher level of, of stimulation before it gets above that baseline for the, because it's a higher baseline. Mm -hmm. And so now it's like, oh, I've got to see something really big before I can notice it. And, um, and so oftentimes they're, they're learning to just medicate by just dissociating and not really paying attention. Then when something big comes along, um, then they notice it, but also that's where the addiction comes in. If it is the type of addiction that's um, they're wanting to feel something, then they may have to do something pretty extreme uh, to actually feel. And so they're always looking for the either the adrenaline or something that gets them up above that high baseline so that they can feel things in life. And that's one of the things that can happen outside of trauma. Mm -hmm. You know, when I, I often tell the story that prior to I began my own journey of recovery, Beth and I were having this conversation slash argument. And Beth was saying to me, Greg, I need for you to be with me. I need for you to be with me. And mm -hmm. prior to recovery, I had no concept of this idea of being. Um, and a lot of times mm -hmm. someone may be listening to the podcast. We're talking about being present. We're talking about disassociation. But the reality is it's so normalized in their life that they don't understand mm -hmm. what it is to be present or to be absent, to be disassociative. And so one of the things I would encourage the listener that's kind of evaluating is their trauma, do I disassociate, is to listen to some of the voices in their lives. And maybe they are getting some invitations to show up. Um, uh, maybe they're, they're getting messages that it doesn't seem like you're with me or I don't know where you go. Um, and those may be some indicators for that person that they do have a way of exiting that there may not they don't have language around yet or they don't fully understand. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I had a, a friend many years ago, we were sitting out on a deck with a group of people and, um, and I had gone and gotten a few people a glass of tea and some different things. And, and I would come back and sit down and then within just a couple of minutes, I'd get up and go do something else. And finally, this one person who was a friend of mine said, you know, you seem to have a real hard time just being present. Mm. And I remember at the time looking at him going, what are you talking about? I know how to be present. But after everybody left, I remember the next day kind of sitting there going, can I? And I found myself having the hardest time just to be still, to be quiet, to not listen to music or, or anything else and to go, wow, just to be present with myself. Mm which means then it's hard to be present with another person. I found like, what is going on inside of me? And that's where actually some of the very beginnings of some of my recovery work began because I realized I was not comfortable just being. Mm -hmm. Well, and maybe for many of our listeners, busyness is their primary way of disassociating because culturally we affirm busyness. Yeah. We want to be productive. We want to be doers. Yeah. We've kind of taken it to the next level and that invitation from God to be still, you know, be still and know that I am God is that invitation to being present. 
And one of the things I, I often say is I cannot be present with others or I cannot be present with God if I don't know how to be present with myself. And that internal desire right. to flee from ourselves um, constantly keeps us moving and keeps us from being able to be present with God and be present with others and ourselves. Um, would you? And that's in some of the work we do. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, the work that we do with couples mm -hmm. is um, people. Yeah, you know, they'll come in and say, "We want tools. We want to know communication methods." Mm -hmm. We're like, "We'll get there," but until they can first drop in and see their own heart to be there, mm -hmm. but also to see their partner's heart to see them once again for who they are rather than putting all of these um, messages and blames on the other person. Um, it's, it's really wonderful when they finally begin to see their heart and to go, it's kind of like, almost like, Oh, there you are. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen you in a really long time. And, um, and then they can begin to do the communication tools and other tools that can help because now they're actually being with the person. Um, and then once in a while, when we're working with someone and they're very much in their addiction, they just can't drop in and see the other one's heart or their own because they're still in this place of like, I got to, you know, I got to do this or, or I got to not feel or I got to, um, and whatever it is, and they can't just drop in and be. And that is so important in, in marriage and in couples. Well, and that's why addiction yeah. is so insidious to the relationship is it the addiction removes someone from being present in the relationship. So there is no sense of connection. There is no sense of being. Um, and in the presence of the addiction, we are not just kind of betraying ourselves, but we're betraying the relationship itself and our inability to be present. Yeah. Right. Yes. Right. And doesn't your experience, uh, Bill and Lori, uh, show that uh, when we allow ourselves to become more present with God, it opens the door to us being able to be more present with ourselves? Absolutely. I I was just thinking as y'all were um, talking about my own my own path. Um, I think God was so gracious uh, to me. Um, I had a severe eating disorder from the time I was 12 and didn't even have a name for it till I was 21. Uh, cause I'm old and, um, <laughs> so, and, and I would, I hated it and I would get up and beg God to take it away. Please take it away. And it would always come out back by lunchtime. Uh, then I had a Bible study group. I finally shared and, you know, got the secret, my, my secret shame out there. And I had a, a brief break at, for 10 years. And, and then I would just study the Bible and I'd have a break, but it was all still about doing. And then it would come back up, it would crop back up. And then it was, a, it, it was then when, when God took me out to the desert, which was what I call hell time in my life to hear his voice. I lost everything, but I gained his voice. I gained who he was in my life. Um, and then I was able to deal with a deeper trauma so they they go together and it, it I know there's been a debate. Do you deal with the addiction first? Do you deal with trauma first? Do you deal with the trauma or do you deal with the addiction? And for me, it was both. Mm -hmm. um, I had to deal with both over time. Uh, and but I think the final freedom was when I was able to go into the pain and the loss 
uh, the losses that I've had in my life through trauma. And tell them what the verse in Hosea that you heard at the time I'm gonna, of the desert. Uh, Hosea um, 2.14, I'm going to take you out to the desert and I'm going to speak tenderly to you and you're going to learn and hear my voice. And literally, that's what he did. He took me out to the desert and I would, I would um, have my cry out prayers and I would shake my fist and he would say, are you done? And I'd be like, yeah, well, lay your head on my shoulder and sleep with me tonight. Like, in other words, it was a sweet, intimate relationship of being able to, to learn uh, the why in my life, because I never wanted a divorce. Um, and then moving into the what now, which is, okay, God, here we go. Um, and then finally, why not me? Why not me suffer for the, for the kingdom of God? Why not me? Because I so believe in your goodness and, and I entrust my life to you. Mm-hmm. You know, we often well, use the imagery. Laurie, of- we, we really... Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Greg. I, I was just saying, we often use the imagery of lamentations where the first section of lamentation is this crying out to God, this basically letting God know you're disappointing, disappointed, letting God know that you're hurt, letting God know that God's really not being a very good God. But then there's this beautiful transition mm-hmm. of, and yet I will trust you. And the, and yet I will trust you right. is what opens us up to that being with God in a new way. Right, right. Well, Bill and Lori, we want to thank you for your time today. And this subject of trauma is such an interesting one. And I know that Mm -hmm. our listeners and our viewers are going to greatly benefit from uh, your conversation with us today. In fact, there's, I think, much more for us to talk about with you about. So we'd like to invite you for a follow-up podcast with us, because I know that our viewers are going to totally enjoy that. So thanks for your time today. Thank You're you. welcome. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, for our viewers, we'd like to uh, invite you uh, to look for a follow-up podcast with Lori and Bill that we'll have coming uh, in the next week or two. Uh, in the meantime, uh, if you're a man out there struggling with sexual addiction or sexual purity issues, we invite you to visit our website, faithfulandtrue.com, where you'll find the information about our Men's Journey Workshop, which we offer every month uh, for men struggling with these issues. On a, on a quarterly basis, we also offer workshops for their spouses or their partners, and we also do our couples' journey workshop. Uh, three times a year. So all that information, all those opportunities are there for you to experience at faithfulandtrue.com. In the meantime, we thank you again. We hope that this week for you will be a week that's filled with many blessings and great vision.